0: works. Today we are delighted to welcome James Hardy who is the music programmer for the Norfolk and Norwich festival which has just concluded after two weeks of live events across the arts before live audiences. 17th of May has been a big date for all of us for so long but the prospect of hitting the ground running on the day itself with a festival launch must have been truly daunting and James certainly doesn't sugarcoat the challenges the team faced in the months of uncertainty leading up to the event. The festival was only able to offer around 50% of the usual programme of events to venues operating at 30-35% to 35% capacity due to Covid restrictions, but perhaps the boldest decision was to operate on a pay-what-you-want basis. But you'll hear how this model, while it was potentially economically risky, attracted a new audience sector that felt encouraged to engage with a variety of arts events they may not have considered before. This is a story of persistence, agility, optimism, engagement and sheer nerve leading to a triumphant return to live performance that offered an experience of hope and resilience to audiences both new and old. But first, here's a message from our sponsor. Music Works is generously supported by Allianz Musical Insurance, the UK's number one musical instrument insurer, serving the music community since 1960. If these difficult times have shown us anything, it's that life can be unpredictable. Allianz offer cover for all types of instruments and musical equipment, protecting you against accidental damage, loss, theft and more. Plus, every Allianz music policy now includes free legal assistance and support, so you can protect yourself, both as a musician and in your personal life. Now, if the worst happens, you won't be left out of pocket and you can get back to doing what you do best. To find out more about this and Allianz's special online offer of two months' free cover, go to allianzmusic.co.uk. Allianz, proud to be the insurer of choice for over 70,000 musicians. And now we go over to the Music Works studio where James Hardy is waiting to talk to us. James, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Great to be with you, Katie.
0: Uh, So today we have James Hardy with us, the music programmer of Norfolk and Norwich Festival um and the festival and you come to us fresh from the festival which has just finished two days ago at the point that we're recording this um so there's a lot to talk about i mean
1: there is (laughs) yeah i I don't i don't feel so fresh myself but um yeah we finished we finished uh on sunday evening uh with a final uh couple of days of live music uh in chapelfield gardens which is the major park in the middle of norwich uh, and that rounded off two weeks of music uh, as well as dance, outdoor performance, theatre, literature, visual arts, um, and a lot of outreach work as well.
0: Absolutely wonderful. And this festival commenced on the 17th of May, which is now a famous date <laughs> in 2021, the date when we were allowed to go into venues, etc. cetera, um, again. Um, so where shall we start? Tell us about producing two weeks of um, multidisciplinary art festival to launch on the first day of the lockdown list.
1: Mm. Well, I'll start by talking about the dates because that in itself was a result of uh, the government restrictions and when they were going to ease. So our festival is typically 17 days long and uh, we were due to start on the 14th of May, actually. Uh, And we had been designing a festival that... uh, we thought we'd be able to take place come what may. So we're designing a lot of our events to take place outside. We had a, um, a program of indoor work as well, primarily the the music program. Uh, and we thought, well, you know, as long as we can start on the 14th of May, we'll be able to start and, and have outdoor things. We'll be able to go ahead pretty much as planned or, or on a kind of plan B, plan C basis. Uh, then of course, when the roadmap came out, Uh, That said, well, we can't have any outdoor performance either um, until the 17th of May, let alone indoor performance. So around about that time, we then took the decision to essentially shunt forward the start of the festival uh, by three days to start on May the 17th, which in itself at the time felt very risky, you know, because we were... Completely dependent on that date coming goods, and and all the various tests that the uh, the government needed to fulfil to allow that stage of the unlocking to happen, um, and so uh, you know, lots of colleagues said, "Well, that sounds like complete madness that you're going to start on that day," um, but as with the last fourteen months, sixteen months, you know, nothing is predictable, and I think um we stuck to our guns and it and it did come good in the end um you know now looking into the future it's not so certain that a lot of the summer and autumn dates are going to be there so again you know at a time like this you just kind of have to stick to stick to your guns plan as much as possible have many backup plans as possible and just hope that you're able to deliver something (laughs) and and you know, have those experiences for artists and for audiences and and try your damnedest to make it happen.
0: It's so difficult, isn't it? Because actually a lot of, um, there's been a lot of um, windows of opportunity over the last year as well, haven't there? And so (laughs) there's been times when, um, I mean, we personally in our family thought, oh, we'll not plan a holiday just yet. We'll sort of see what happens. Massively missed that window uh, <laughs> and regretted it hugely when the long winter came. So, you know, I think in, in some ways the, um, yeah, it's having the kind of courage to do what you can do when the when the timing suggests, doesn't it? And it's a conversation I've had with musicians all year is, is you know, they said, can we plan this and can we plan that? And I said, well... Let's plan it and you know keep everything crossed. Essentially,
1: absolutely. That's I mean, I think I th- yeah, um, I think it's a really interesting uh, outcome though of of the of the pandemic. As you say, there have been windows and opportunities, windows of opportunities, and it's been really interesting to see who has been able to pounce on them. Now, naturally, it's mostly been smaller organisations and and ensembles and artists who have such a big leading time you know for us and for many other quite large organizations when you're trying to plan 14 days worth of stuff you know across a city across a county in numerous venues you can't just kind of concoct that at the at a month's notice and get it all ready. you know even building things like seating plans was a major headache this year of course because we, we didn't know who we could have where in what numbers all these kind of things so it's been really great to see a lot of organizations and smaller organizations really take the initiative and make work where larger ones have have you know understandably not been able to be as nimble. Uh, and I think it's a really encouraging sign actually that a lot of a lot of these small agile organizations have been making work and have been providing work for others. Uh, unfortunately, the funding models we have don't really make that kind of activity sustainable because unless you've got regular funding guaranteed you know trying to get scrape together the, the resources for even one of these little projects can be a, a major undertaking um, so I hope that you know in future years we'll, we'll be able to redistribute funding a little bit more to favor these smaller, more nimble organizations, or at least make the process to get funding for these things uh, a little bit more straightforward, um, particularly in terms of national funding and arts council funding.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's been very difficult for, um, for smaller or less well-established um, artists and organizations to access funding, um, hasn't it? Absolutely. Um, share that that goal certainly um okay so um you decided to to go for it and put on the festival um starting on the 17th of may and so then presumably went through um, how long ago was that so you've been planning the festival for how long um
1: in total well um essentially well i mean at least a year mm. and probably more than that i i joined the team last August, so this was my first festival uh, and I came in having, uh, well, the team having had just cancelled the 2020 festival, uh, but essentially we work on a, on a yearly cycle. So uh, the last, uh, w- when I joined they were still kind of unpicking the last bits of the 2020 festival and then starting to plan the 2021. Um, And so it was essentially a a brand new festival, Uh, but the major difference this year was that we decided to offer all events on a pay what you want basis with a free uh, option available. In order to really widen access, in order to offer something very, very different, in order to offer the people of Norfolk uh, something of a gift following the, the, the year that we've had and of course the financial implication of that is huge because we don't have the uh the box office income that we usually have nor do we have the burden of making a certain box office target um so to allow for that we we shrunk the program um to to roughly kind of fifty percent of what we would usually offer um. And we you know we were still covering all the all the major art forms that we do uh but the but the format of things was was wildly different, and we just had to maintain complete flexibility really until very late in the day, um certainly up until the roadmap announcement and then beyond that as well, when we were still figuring out exactly who we could have where um but I think that it's been an incredible festival to learn from because a lot of those decisions we made have had um you know there have been major learnings that we've we've got from them the pay what you want uh model has attracted vastly different audiences from what uh we would usually have uh certainly in terms of uh the music and the classical music program It's made a big difference to who we're getting there in terms of the age of the audience, uh, the diversity of the audience. Um, And it's also meant that we were a little bit freer in terms of um, how we were presenting things and what we were presenting. Um, We weren't forced to kind of put on really popular things because we needed to make that box office. And so we could be a little bit more experimental about what and who we were presenting
0: interesting so um the new pricing
1: structure actually gives more artistic freedom yeah yeah absolutely um and i think you know it's really interesting with audiences even a kind of a nominal amount you you kind of make that commitment to go and see something even if it's you know five pounds ten pounds um whereas if it's if it's pay what you want you know a lot and a lot of people did take advantage of the free tickets you know there's not that that sense of being bound to go because you yourself have put money in. So there was that, uh, slight fear that, um, you know, we'd have loads of no shows, which thankfully wasn't the case at all. Um, but it did mean that people were tempted to maybe try something they didn't, that they weren't comfortable, you know, that they weren't necessarily, uh, totally familiar with. And so it meant that we could put on, uh, what I think were you know, far more uh, exciting in different programmes than you might normally see. So, for example, you know, we had uh, Master Collective performing uh, Gorecki uh, and uh, Joseph Horowitz and Bach and a new uh, commission from Lawrence Osborne. Uh, we had uh, Britain Symphonia doing a, something called a surround Sand playlist in Norwich Cathedral. Um, which was, I think, about twenty-five minute pieces mm. um, spread all around the cathedral. The audience we had on mats uh, lying around the cathedral to experience what is quite an extraordinary acoustic in an amazing building. Uh, we had artists like Abel Salaché and Iqbal, Hattus Nuit. Um, you know, all in in Norwich for their first time and and performing. Uh, you know quite out there programs but it was i think a combination of uh you know obviously incredible talent but also this idea that you could try something this year that you might not have tried before or you might not have tried if you had to pay five pounds or ten pounds and it really did get the the desired result i think
0: that's just fantastic to hear i know there are um people listening or if there aren't certainly me who uh, who loves trying different formats of things and and trying to work out how to make classical music feel like something you can experiment with and and not only go and see to hear the same relatively small number of pieces played over and over again um yeah. and it's it's fantastic to hear a, um an example of how this has been done and, and worked really well so it was and how much did so obviously you'll have had restricted um, audience numbers to do with um, COVID restrictions and distancing, um, but were you able to, so you were able to, to fill what you had?
1: Um, you say? Yes. Um, so again, you know, one of the interesting things about having such a, a long lead in time for these bigger festival things, you, as as much as you'd like to you can't suddenly kind of change plans at the last minute so obviously the guidance stated that we you know are now as of the 17th of May allowed up to 50% of a venue Um, however when you're making seating plans and box office arrangements and putting things on sale uh, you know for six weeks before an event you can't take the chance that 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 we're going to be able to make that so all those seating plans had to be made well in advance with lower capacities so i think we were roughly working to about 30 to 35 percent in most venues of course that wildly changes as well because it depends what size groups people booking Uh, and so whilst you theoretically might be able to get in 250 you might actually end up with 150 so again the financials of it just don't add up in these times and and relying on a box office right now is um basically impossible
0: yeah so did that make it actually a good year to try this out then in that we knew that your
1: usual box office aims were just impossible Mm, absolutely um and as i say i think we were all um really well we were all really ready to try this different model and embrace it. And, you know, we all have come into the year knowing that this would be a unique addition um, to try and make something work for the audiences this year, despite all the uncertainty. Um, And I think, you know, next year, we celebrate our 250th anniversary of the festival. So it's a major, major year for us. And as much as possible, we will hope to return to a full complement of events you know, it, it's now still still difficult to know what we're going to, uh, what what conditions will be like come next May. Um, and we start planning essentially now, we'll start planning in earnest now. Um, but as I say, there have been really interesting takeaways from this year. This pay what you want model has brought in a vastly different audience from what we'd expect or what we'd usually get. Uh, those programming uh, decisions that were a little bit riskier have absolutely paid off. You know, lots of people said to me after uh, our concert with the Manchester Collective, I thought I wouldn't like that. I thought it wasn't going to be for me, but it was wonderful. Uh, you know, that new commission was incredible. So it's, it's finding a way in the future to keep encouraging people to take risks in what they come and see and to encourage artists to be a little bit more uh, adventurous in what they program um, but making it all add up and that's the challenge of course and it's a perennial challenge but I think there are some valuable, <laughs> valuable learnings from from this year and I think it's energized our you know the team here enormously to to have the results that we did uh, so it's it's been you know utterly thrilling and been you know two of the most exciting weeks of my career to date um, and as you know and has it's really felt like something very very special that we've been able to do.
0: It's absolutely um, fan- fascinating to hear about and, and congratulations on such a coup I think the um, one of the things I've been hoping as I've been seeing the way the sort of route through and out hopefully of lockdown for music has, has progressed is that it will lead to more innovation and inclusion in terms of how music is presented. Um, I think obviously um, everything has been completely thrown up in the air, and now we're seeing where it settles again. Um, yeah. How how adventurous was um, this festival you just done in terms uh, in terms of what you think adventurous classical music could be, um, or art forms in general? But obviously mm-hmm. we focus on classical music mainly on this podcast, but yeah. interested to hear your views on everything. <laughs>
1: um, so I mean I. Um, I think this year's program was absolutely kind of stepping in the right direction. It's interesting that uh, a couple of the projects that we had planned that were absolutely kind of shaking up the format of the concert, we unfortunately had to pull. Uh, you know, a matter of weeks before the program went out because of of COVID complications. Mm. But having said that, I think we're, there was still a really strong offering that was pushing. You know is pushing classical music into new spaces uh, and towards new audiences. Um, I've mentioned them already, but Manchester Collective are one of those groups that really, at their core, are about questioning the format and trying to uh, to reach new audiences, essentially. Um, and this year, you know, because of the conditions we were in, we weren't able to be quite as... Radical, I think, in in what, where, and how we are presenting things. You know, there was a there was a, a moment when we, you know, that indoor outdoor venue question was was hanging over us, and we thought, well, actually, maybe we can move all of this stuff to, for example, a multi story car park, uh, which I think would have, you know, again attracted a new a new set of people. You know, as things turned out, we we were able to do things inside, um, and actually. In the end, we're trying to, you know, to make life slightly simpler for us. We kept things largely in blocks of outdoor venue and indoor venue. Um, But, you know, within that, you can still be very, uh, you can still challenge yourself and challenge audiences to come to things in new ways. Uh, So I also mentioned that the Britain Symphonia Concert, for that they collaborated with Norwich Cathedral Choir, um, with Abel Salauche and they conco- concocted this hour-long concert of short pieces um, with, and the audience were were kind of stayed put in the middle of the, the building. And it was the artists that were moving around to various locations in the building to give this kind of uh, sonic experience of, of this extraordinary building. Um, we also uh, had a, a very interesting program from E. Facilini, Around uh, T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland. And uh, so so extracts of that poem were uh, were read uh, and then intertwined were works by Byrd and Victoria and uh, three new commissions by Ben Routh, Shruti Rajasekhar, and Joanna Marsh. Um, and so, you know, whilst again there were kind of dampeners and limits on exactly what we could do. Um, And the priority this year, as I say, was really just trying to put on a festival come what may, which we were able to do. Um, As always, you can do more and I hope we will do a lot more in the future in terms of uh, how and where we're putting on music. Um, But a nice example of, of something that worked really well this year and worked with the complications that we had, something called the bandwagon. Um, so we got a I think it was a seven ton uh, side curtain truck and we put musicians and uh, dancers and poets on this truck uh, and this visited uh, schools and hospitals and care homes around the county for three days at the start of the festival uh, reaching I think over 3,000 people and we had you know the National Youth Jazz Orchestra come and play on that. We had Norwich Cathedral Choir Choristers go and sing for a care home. Uh, And that was a really amazing way of of reaching those audiences that probably would never come to a festival event uh, in a typical year. And so, again, that's one of the learnings. How can we be more mobile and a bit more imaginative in how we're reaching audiences that are currently underserved? Um, And so that's been one of the remarkable things that this year has kind of thrown up
0: wonderful to hear I think again just some really great examples in this uh, in this episode and from from your festival and, and um engaging people and thinking about um what people need from music and from an arts festival um it's really wonderful to hear I was going to ask you what your highlight was but you may have already said but <laughs> I mean
1: there have been there have been so many so many highlights I mean um yeah another another one for me was actually uh we we ran a strand at the the bandstand in uh, Chapelfield Gardens, which is right in the middle of Norwich. so it's a very typical kind of city bandstand I think you know Victorian uh, that would have been designed for brass bands to play on. Um, and you know it's a, it's a it's a venue that sits in the middle of the city but but many of us probably walk past them without thinking much of them. Uh, and I suspect many of them have been silent for for decades. Uh, but it's kind of a gift that you have there that is totally COVID friendly. Uh, And so we had, we had 10 days of, of music there, uh, primarily with uh, local artists. We collaborated with BBC Introducing to present three of those nights. Uh, They came along to record all of the music that was, was performed there. And again, you know, we were able to be really a bit more, uh, well, just freer in, in what we put on. So we had everything from kind of post hardcore to beatboxing, to hip hop, uh, to electronic, to pop, to to um, soul and funk and disco. And, you know, the just the range of audiences that came out to see this stuff. And, you know, many were supporting their their friends and their bands, but many were just kind of there for the music that was on. You know, it was amazing that you, you saw the same faces turn up night after night, regardless of whether it was folk or whether it was punk. Um, So that that for me was a real, real highlight and it was, you know, important again this year uh, and something else, you know, we thought uh, it was important to be really kind of shouting for and supporting local artists um, and giving them a platform. You know, I think too often large international festivals overlook what they already have on their own doorstep Um, and so it was really important for us that we champion them and support them. Um, And we've tried to do that across the program as much as possible. So we closed the festival with uh, two days of live music called The Garden Sessions. And alongside, uh, you know, headliners like Moses Boyd and Poppy Judah, we had local artists uh, like Maya Law and Freya Roy, who are very much on the ascendancy But, you know, to to give them those opportunities to present alongside these uh, incredible, you know, universally known musicians um, is something that's really important to me and really important to the festival. Happiness. Wonderful. And so looking to next
0: year, it's obviously been two days since the festival closed. So planning for for next year must be in full Mm. swing
1: now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just need to get the final... um, (laughs) final batch of invoices done yeah. Uh, yeah so so I mean as I've mentioned next year is Norfolk Norwich Festival's 250th anniversary um which most people respond to with a bit of a gasp when I when I say that um, and it is quite you know quite an extraordinary number uh, the festival started back in 1772 as essentially a kind of Uh, a long weekend of fundraising concerts for Norfolk and Norwich Hospital Um, and it was all based around choral and orchestral stuff. and so that the festival has a very very rich heritage of that music and of commissioning that music you know lots of works uh, from people like Vaughan Williams and Elgar and Britain written for those forces. Um, The festival has then evolved a huge amount over the the 250 years since then it's taken on bits it's taken on visual arts and theater uh it it was a triennial festival until i think the 1990s when it then became annual so so the you know the profile of the festival today is is vastly different as you would expect um since it started back in 1772 um but next year we will celebrate many of the the commissions and, and the features of, that make this festival very special and unique. Um, one such figure that made it so unique was Jenny Lind who was a Swedish opera singer, uh, collaborator with Mendelssohn and she visited uh, Norwich very regularly in the 19th century and was kind of adopted by Norwich audiences as you know their star uh, and she was so she 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 was in return very enamored by the audiences here that um she donated large amounts of her fees from her appearances at the festival to fund the North Norwich Children's Hospital um, and I think you know she's now I think probably best known for for being a character in the greatest showman. Um, but it was quite an extraordinary relationship between those two, and at its heart, there was this, um, this kind of sense of of giving back, and and you know, in very real terms, of philanthropy that she, you know, gave a lot of her fees for the for the kind of good of the city, um, and so that's something that we'll be celebrating next year. Is is how we can work with. Uh, other organisations and in particularly uh, Norfolk Norwich Hospital and how the arts can uh, support and interact and, and shout about these kind of community-based issues. Um, we'll also be, uh, I hope, remembering and celebrating some of the uh, the great commissions that have come out of the Norfolk Norwich Festival. Um, I'm not going to go into too much detail now because things are still yeah. uh, very much penciled and, and and no more than that <laughs> at the moment. Um, But there are certainly going to be great opportunities to celebrate that. And of course, by commissioning new work as well um, for uh, artists and for audiences here. Is commissioning a big part of the festival's um, remit? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it it will become more important, even more important going forward. Um, I spoke a, a few moments ago about our desire to support and and nurture what we have here in the county. Um, And one of the initiatives that we were able to do last year uh, was something called Creative Individuals Norfolk. And uh, so we were able to give out six grants of 5,000 pounds to artists and practitioners around the county. Uh, And so as a result of that, we've had um, We've had exhibitions. We've had uh, sound walks made. Uh, we've had a play um, about boyhood and kind of the you know men's relationship with their bodies. But essentially, this this amazing way to support with, you know with real financial support artists in the county. Um, and so we're doing a second version of that, uh, which is kind of inviting commissions right now and we're very grateful to Arts Council England for supporting that project. Um, but, but commissioning is really a vital part of the festival, has always been a vital part of the uh, the, the history of the festival as well, and it's something we'll absolutely continue to celebrate. Um, you know, this year we we were able to kind of dot around some, some nice smaller commissions, um, from Josephine Stevenson uh, and from Shruti Rajasekar, ben Rath and Joanna Marsh. Uh, we also presented well premieres of uh, works by uh, Isabella Gellis and Lawrence Osborne. And of course, the rest, across the rest of the programme, which includes outdoor arts and performance and dance, there was uh, a wealth of, of new work and premieres. Um, certainly looking forward Uh, A priority for us is going to be commissioning more work. Um, I think it needs to be a priority for all arts organisations. You know, we've got a duty to nurture and push the boundaries and encourage artists to keep innovating. Um, I think we have too much of a reliance really on on, uh, older works, on the canon, um, and that if we want... The public and funders to treasure the arts as we do uh we need to really fight for the you know make and fight and make the case for contemporary art for new art um i think it's one of the the ways that people will uh you know really identify and um uh you know how, how we make it relevant to them how we give people ownership of art if it's something that they are helping to create and helping to contribute to you know and certainly when we're working with younger people with schools outreach work i think there should be a much greater focus on giving them the tools to make their own work uh giving them the tools to understand new work uh and and kind of getting them up there and up close with composers with artists who are there uh, and, and making this work live and, and showing them that they can, too, uh, make a new work.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's, you put that so eloquently, I couldn't agree more. That um, I was having a conversation on this podcast the other week with um, with Patricia Yates about um, mm. uh, uh, who is um, an opera singer. We were talking about the canon uh, and the way in which... Um, so much of historic um, music in particular as an art form is so irrelevant to people now in terms of, I mean, yes, it can be beautiful, but in terms of what we're all going through societally and mm-hmm. so on, it's just so ingrained with um, racism and sexism and um, all of the isms. Um, and it, it, these things in the current kind of societal context are just becoming really uncomfortable to watch and, and things that people aren't actually, uh, mm-hmm. Wanting to be exposed to anymore, not necessarily musically, but um, in terms of just like the sort of environment and the, the narrative. So yeah, for me, um, commissioning is an incredibly important part of keeping this art form relevant to. Yeah. Um, to Absolutely, to and the I, current and future you things. know, I think I
1: think a lot of what you say is correct, and um, you know, not only can, I mean, we touched on it earlier how we present and, and, and think about this music and, and where and how and who performs it is, is one way of um, maintaining relevance, I guess you could say, um, but also new work that, that questions what has come before, uh, adds to it, uh, challenges these ideas is so crucial, you know, because it should be a continuing tradition that is being added to all the time by artists and taken apart and put back together in, in new ways. Um, and, uh, you know, one way of challenging and questioning what has come before is to make new art about it as well. Um, so I think it's absolutely vital uh, that we continue finding ways to support artists in doing that. And and as we've said before, you know, finding new, finding better ways to get them the resources that they need to do this
0: yeah absolutely and i would just say that that um what you the scheme you mentioned about supporting local musicians sounds far more generous um financially for those musicians than a lot of similar schemes that i've heard of so that's really really commendable because often you see these fantastic sounding opportunities and then it's a few hundred pounds and you think you know mm. the time you've spent applying for that is pretty much uh,
1: well exactly <laughs> yeah yeah that. Um, well, thank you so much. And um, I'm
0: going to round off now. Is there anything else you, you'd like to, to talk about? Any any closing thoughts
1: or anything like that? Um. Uh, no, I mean, I think, I think generally, you know, the past year has obviously been a very unsettling time for lots of people. Um, and we're all kind of finding our feet again now. But what I would say is that there was a lot of talk and discussion in the, in the first few months of uh, the pandemic that was talking about you know being a bit bolder and being a bit braver in how we advocate for the arts and, and how we present the arts. And whilst there are clearly signs of very encouraging signs of that that is happening, um, I still think a lot of, a lot of us, myself included, can be bolder and braver yet, um, and really, you know, make the case for music, think about it imaginatively, uh, offer opportunities to those who, who aren't always being given the opportunities, uh, commissioning more, and just generally kind of being a bit risky, because I think, you know, if, if the last two weeks have shown me anything, it's that you, you can really... inspire audiences and and encourage them to be ambitious and and you know artists want to do that they want to challenge people um and I think you know as as the administrators we have a, a real duty to encourage and nurture and offer them ways to do that um so I would just you know say to all my colleagues out there um that uh you know whilst we're all as I say, finding our feet again, I think we really need to shout about what we're doing more and, and do more and, and uh, be braver.
0: Thank you so much, uh, James, for sharing all your news and um, insights just a couple of days after the conclusion of the Norfolk and Norwich Festival. It's been so great to hear about a Live Arts Festival after so long with so very few face-to-face performances since lockdown began. Your description of the journey to get to this point is uh, however a a familiar one and we know our listeners will applaud your hard work and innovation to make such a brilliant event happen after all the uncertainty i know that if you can achieve so much under such difficult circumstances your 250th anniversary will definitely be an even greater success when uh, hopefully you'll be able to present an offering with fewer restrictions applied um if you want to find out more about James, who's also the general manager of the Marion Consort, and the details details of the festival, you can find these at nnfestival.org.uk um, and on social media, and these uh, links and tags will be in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining Music Works. I'm Katie Beardsworth, and it's been my pleasure to share this episode with you today. Thank you, James. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Music Works podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe, check out our other great episodes and even better, leave us a review. You can also sign up to our mailing list at www.polyphonyarts.com forward slash mailing list for updates and news about what Polyphony Arts is up to for all you classical music folk out there. You can find more information in the show notes as well. Meanwhile, I'm Katie Beardsworth and I look forward to sharing with you the next great episode of Music Works. Music Works is generously supported by Alliance Musical Insurance, the UK's number one musical instrument insurer. Alliance Music Insurance, serving the music community since 1960, proud to be the insurer of choice for over 70,000 musicians. Music Works is a polyphony arts production. Thank you for listening.